Free Trail fam, bonjour from Chamonix, France. Of course, I am your loving host, Dylan Bowman, here to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc. It is officially UTMB week, and we are here to enjoy the spectacle and share our love for this amazing sport and this amazing event with you, the global trail running community, trail fans worldwide. This is a special time of year, and we are so happy to be here to enjoy it in person. We're going to be doing a daily show each morning recording in the heart of Chamonix covering all the major stories of this year's race. It is a special week-long series we're calling Good Morning Mont Blanc, which you're listening to now. Each day we'll have a star-studded group of rotating co-hosts to share their expert perspectives about the fields, the conditions, the races, and the results as they happen throughout the week. We're also going to be doing a ton of pre- and post-race interviews with some of the main contenders and the top performers. So make sure you're subscribed here or to our YouTube channel so you don't miss a single second of our coverage. We are grateful for your support. We really hope you'll follow along and share it with your friends. Finally, thank you to Hoka and Camelback for making the shows possible this week. Make sure you play fantasy, fantasy fantasy.freetrail.com for a chance to win prize packages from these awesome brands. Thank you all so much for listening. Have an amazing UTMB week. David and Megan Roche. It's UTMB week, your first time in Chamonix. It's the best week ever. <laughs> Thanks so much for having us. This is so cool. We're massive free trail fans. Um, you know, subscribe and everything. Absolutely just an honor to be here. Yeah, well, likewise. And I've just been steamrolling through your guys' archive too and love every episode. And you've brought up so many interesting things recently, especially they're relevant to UTMB. And so I figured it would be great to get you to come on the show and add more of like a coaching perspective, but I'm sure there's a lot that we can talk about, but maybe first, what, what are the first impressions of your, your first UTMB? Okay. We're obsessed. Yeah. yeah uh, can we move here? Yeah. That, that is like my impression. Can we raise an American baby here? Yeah. 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 Well, I think that it would officially be a French baby. Yeah. At that point, yes. Baguette is going to be his first word. Um, it's going to be so great. Um, we're always a little bit, we'd actually never traveled internationally outside of yeah. when we have raced on world's teams together and coming over here with this type of experience has just been eye-opening and we absolutely adore the trails. They're Mm -hmm. so much different than even the, um, elevation profiles indicate. Yeah. They're so fun. And so, yes, we're probably gonna be over here a lot. (laughs) I was going to say, I feel like my heart and soul belong in Chamonix and my quads now officially too. Yeah. And it's been, we've been doing a lot of running ourselves and it's like, it makes me so excited for our athletes out there. Yeah. And so you guys have 12 athletes competing this weekend. And so that provided a, a valuable excuse to bring the whole family over here. And we should say that shit. Yeah. We should say Harmony is just uh, taking Leo for a little walk. So you guys could sit down and chat for a little bit. So actually maybe let's start there. You know, the whole parenting thing, we're Mm -hmm. going through it together. What's Leo's birthday. It must be coming up, right? October 28th. Okay. So he's 10 months, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, So 10 months, almost exactly. Rose just turned one. How has the first 10 months been of this, this new journey? It's, you know, I'm always bad with strength training and I'm just getting those lifting muscles going. So that's my main thing. I'm focused on the training. Yeah. Megan's more focused on the parenting. It's been, well, you spent from midnight to 3am making up nursery rhymes. So your, your parenting is, is his, very solid. His dirty nursery rhymes as he was adjusting to, uh, 
the new time zone were, were quite good. Yeah, no, it's been so much fun. And we've been following Rhodes too. And Rhodes and Leo had like a moment last night over pizza. And I've been waiting for that for 10 months. Yeah. So and Megan's the cool. best mom in the world. It's so fun to see her in action and inspires me to be a better person in all I do. It just reminded me, I recall you posted a passport photo of Leo. I can't remember. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But we have to show you Rhodes' passport photo because it's absolutely hilarious. I can't wait. That yeah, would be amazing. So funny. Well, we got the photo about a week ago. So this yeah. is a very much an expedited trip. Yeah. So it's uh, we classified it as business. Yeah. yeah. Until the very last second, we weren't sure we were going to get here. So now that we're here, it's like the ultimate exhale yeah. and uh, get to take out some of our uh, stress on the trails ourselves before the races. Yeah. So maybe let's go back to Western States. I recall you posted that you guys had was it six out of the top 15 runners for women, finish it, for yeah. women at, at Western States? So obviously another great year for you two there. Thank um, you. And I eventually want to get around to a brilliant point that you made about people who are doing the Western States UTMB double, but maybe let's first just, just start there. Any uh, reflections on the Western States this year? Because you've always talked a lot about you know, heat training and sort of race management and things like that. And it seemed like the SWAT team really threaded the needle at Western States again this year. I think one thing that's fascinating about the sport that was illustrated at Western States is that, especially for women, it's changing at the front with how people are racing, mm -hmm. going out so much faster and then being rewarded for going out faster. And what I'm curious to see this week as a coach and as a fan of the sport is how that changes the dynamics, not just in OCC and CCC, the races that are more commonly going out fast, but also UTMB with yep. Courtney here and everyone knowing that if you want to ride that wave, you can't let it pass you. Yep. Um, and so I think we saw that at Western States where, you know, Katie and es Esther were able to race up from the back and have incredible days, but the top two had already you know, vanished by then, even though they had two of the historic days. So I'm yep. very interested to see how that plays out. And similarly with men, people are going for it at the front. It's almost like the Tour de France now, isn't yeah. it? Oh, like if, if yeah. you lose contact, it's tough to bridge back up. It's yeah. almost like cycling. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. And yeah. It's, I think decisions have to be made early when you feel good mm -hmm. that you might regret later. And so it's a risk reward calculus. Like, yeah. are you playing that you're for the elite athletes is your peak going to be top five or are you playing for the win? Because yeah. those are two very different races. And I think it's been like that for men for a bit and for women with Courtney pushing the sport forward, who knows where it goes from here. And I'm curious too about the Western States UTMB double, because historically that's been hard to pull off, yeah. but we're seeing with our athletes, people are recovering really fast. From yeah. Western so States so go into that. So I was listening to your podcast. It must've been two or three weeks ago now. And you brought up that you were noticing with your athletes that they were recovering more quickly from Western States. And so that you made the prediction that the Western States UTMB double athletes were going to probably be more successful. Corinne brought it to my attention also that there was one more week in between Western States and mm -hmm. UTMB this year, which helps. So off the top of my head, I should have written this down. It's like Tom Evans, Courtney, Tyler, Esther, Leah, Taylor Nowland, Jeff Colt. I think I'm forgetting one other person, maybe Cody Lind was in there too. All of whom I think have a really good chance of pulling off the double yeah. great athletes, obviously, but tell us, I mean, you're sort of the sports scientist. So tell <laughs> us is kind of the physiology here. Yeah. It's fascinating. I mean, I feel like for us, for our athletes, we just saw like so much faster recovery rates yeah. across the board. Starting like, in the first two days. Oh yeah. Like, um, and honestly, within the first few hours. We've been race. in the hospital with athletes after Western States before. So <laughs> we, we understand the carnage of particularly hot races. Um, when you do that, it's impossible to stay hydrated. The kidney damage is a lot, but even if it's short of that, 
the fatigue, like the cellular level endocrine system damage that happens when you're pushing that hard in that high heat can be really difficult. This year at Far Still, we were quite cold at times. It I mean, was breezy. I yeah. was, I had goosebumps. Right. Um, and, and yes, it was still a difficult day. It was still quite, it was still warm later, but, um, the, the difference was huge. And so, you know, for our athletes, usually we say, don't do the double yeah. history does not show it good. Even if an athlete succeeds at UTMB, usually the year after that, they yeah. suffer in different ways. Or do the Western States CCC double, which I think is a little bit more doable. Yep. Yep. Yeah, but even that it has yep. some negative content. And then this year, like, well, this is unprecedented. So mm-hmm. let's follow how you feel. And so probably mostly related to the temps out there. Um, yeah. But I mean, as soon as the finish line, people were just already bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Yeah. Um, and I mean, for me, it's really exciting because Western States on a hot year is, is a very stressful experience. Mm-hmm. Western States on a cool year, just delightful. You get to celebrate with athletes. They actually recognize yeah. your face when they get to the finish line. I was wearing a fleece on the track yeah. until like it was noon. So cold. It was yeah. crazy. It was wild. David, going back to what you just said earlier, I thought that was interesting about like determining what the goal is. Like, are you going for the win versus yeah. are you trying to podium or finish in the top 10? It is two very different races. And if you are going for the win, you really do have to take major risks as we've seen here in the recent memory, Pal Capel going yeah. wire to wire, obviously Jim and Killian going head to head, Jim and Francois going head to head, Courtney going wire to wire. As you sort of coach athletes up, how do you encourage them to, to tune in to what their actual goal is to align the strategy appropriately? Yeah, we always try to talk to them about separating results from the process that they want to have, mm-hmm. the experience that they want to have out there. Because you know, if you go out there and race to win, at a race like UTMB, I don't know if you're going to get around that mountain, or if you do, you have to have a different mindset mm-hmm. than most athletes on the planet. Um, you have to go out there and be pers- pursuing a fulfilling experience that gives you what you want from the day. And so mm-hmm. for some athletes, that's really testing the limits of what their capabilities are and accepting that it might raise the chances of a DNF. And that would be the type of race that goes for the win. But if an athlete tells us like, I just want to go for someplace or anything, we try to stop that conversation immediately because that's not going to be what mm. makes you succeed at UTMB. It is such a hard race. There are so many low points as, as Courtney talks about the pain cave at UTMB becomes the experience in the second half for a large portions of the race. Yeah. You don't get through the pain cave and the hopelessness that you can feel sometimes in ultras if you're not guided at least a little bit by love and fulfillment. So we always try to ground athletes in that. And I think embracing the imperfections too, because at Western States, you can have a perfect race. It's so many hundreds, you can have a perfect race. And at UTMB, it's like, you have to embrace the imperfections because even Katie Scheid last year struggled, came back. And I think we're talking to our athletes a lot like that, embrace the imperfections. And also like, I think sometimes like the mile by mile, like split granularity, it's like be flexible out there. And like athletes have it within them and just emphasizing that to them. Yeah, you guys have always been, I think big proponents of taking a long-term approach and a sustainable orientation to training. We bumped into each other last night in the village <laughs> and I told you that we were just talking about you guys with Drew Holman who oh, was yeah. sitting on that couch yesterday afternoon. And I figured it'd be fun to, to talk a little bit about maybe him specifically to the extent you guys feel comfortable, mm-hmm. obviously. I don't think he would be, uh, you know, he would, I don't think he'd be averse to that, but <laughs> he's such an impressive guy. And he, I think refreshingly, doesn't train like a complete psychopath. (laughs) And I want to get around to also talking about another point you guys made on the podcast about just observing people training here and potentially going overboard. And Drew, who's always taken a sustainable long-term approach, but he's unquestionably one of the best finishing fifth at the world championships, et cetera. 
So really what I'd like to, to drill down on with Drew is just kind of using him as, as an example to this long-term approach and what you can do with more moderate training. Well, yeah. we can talk about Drew because yeah. Drew is like a recurring bit on our podcast yeah. at this point. I feel I like- I could talk about Drew all day. Yeah, he's a character in every single one of our podcasts. With, with or without <laughs> pants on. Yes. <laughs> um, no, I mean, so I guess we met Drew back in 2017, probably around um, when you were running with him at SFRC around yep. that time era. Um, so many years ago now. Um, and the coaching process started with the understanding that he was immensely talented. Like that was kind of a prerequisite for the training approach we used that he was- talented, busy, and might not have been motivated by the external things. Like he already started from the process internal drive, um, parts of this sport. Like he does it for the right reasons, the reasons that we'd like to see. And so our thinking was, if you're just thinking long-term and the athlete is totally bought in like Drew, then the, I do the main goal is to improve their running economy so that you know, the same paces take less effort over time, which means speed has to stay at the forefront mm -hmm. and aerobic development, like low level aerobic development. And you don't want to break down that athlete much because mm -hmm. where, what Drew could achieve in 10 years was basically unthinkable. And you could kind of see that trajectory very early on with things like we do a fatigue resistance test with athletes. And he measured at the very, very top back before he was showing that. And when we saw that, right. Oh, that's weird. Is that like a repeat sprint type test or? No, so it's essentially a, a tempo up on uphill done at the end of a longer session where they've already gone through a few thousand kilojoules of energy. So Drew has very, very little lag on climbs. So like if he went out and did a 10 mile run, his final climb fresh and fatigued would be very similar. Wow. Basically yep. no fade. Yep. Um, and in sometimes actually improvement, which <laughs> yeah. he, he flips the curve. It's, it's freakish, um, but also interesting. It, you know, it's one of the reasons we track fatigue resistance. We can improve that metric, but there are probably some predispositions to it. Um, and so when you see that, you're like, oh, this is a great responsibility. And so the idea is build up to races, give them the tools, hopefully to prepare for those, but not burn them out and break them down. Because every one of these races is a breakdown experience and let alone the training days. So I'm just getting back from a run here that was 12 miles and 4,500 feet of gain. Yeah. If I went out and did 18 miles, I would be so broken down yeah. here. And I think sometimes people distill training down just into numbers and the impressive numbers or even the like kind of big numbers that we see all the time. If we were measuring that stuff on the cellular level, what we'd see is essentially a toxic waste dump. Uh, <laughs> um, and you know, Megan's research has shown me that. And as a result, it's like, okay, we try to deviate de-emphasize a little bit accumulation of numbers, think about the stimulus, the cellular level health, and make sure that, you know, that health element and then fun stay at the forefront in developing speed and aerobic. Well, systems. I feel like also too, that physical health component interacts with mental health so yeah. much in keeping athletes stoke going. Like this is a sport athletes can do for a really long time. And yeah. it's where it's not like basketball or football where at age 35, you're reaching your, your limits. And here we have and maybe athletes- even earlier in those sports. Like, yeah, yeah if you're an NFL running back, and your career's over 27, maybe it makes sense to just like do whatever it takes to be as great as you can for that time. But it's like, Drew has, he's in he's this for life, yeah. you know, like I might not be coaching Drew when he's 65, but I guarantee he's going to be running up Mount Sanitas in Boulder. Um, and like, I don't want to fuck that up. Yeah. Like, you know, that's a great responsibility of any coach. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that I think makes you guys special is exactly this is like the mix between IQ and EQ, like you guys are both <laughs> clearly very smart. You're both very clearly very like scientifically oriented, but you do ground everything in sort of this, uh, the word that comes to mind is touchy feely, but that's yeah. maybe not the right thing. No, no. I think we accept that. Like 
it's art. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, as much as we want coaching or, or training or well, basically anything in, you know, exercise physiology to be science, like each individual data point is so different that you have to understand the person, even if you didn't care, <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, because, um, this is a, a study just came out talking about this, that if you dig down into all of these studies that say this intervention causes this, actually what you see is if you can isolate an individual data point, you get immensely different changes. Like there's mm -hmm. almost no intervention that causes a uniform type of shift, mm -hmm. like a uniform rightward shift. Um, and so understanding that when you incorporate all these variables that every single person varies just so much means that like you have to know the person, hopefully care about the person, mm -hmm. especially over long time horizons where people change so much. And we study the science so much, like a big part of our relationship is just sending like, like <laughs> journal articles to each other over text message. It's probably like the primary way we communicate. It's our sexting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But the more that I feel like we dive into that science, it's like, oh no, this is an art. Like the more entrenched I become in science every single year, it's like, this is, it's so much more art than it is science. And I think we take that into our Yeah, and I mean, you know, yeah. I always like, Megan is the smartest person I've ever met. Yeah. You know, MD, PhD, studies this stuff. Um, and also just has a processor that's like out of this world. But I think and it's what makes you guys different and special. Because <laughs> there's like <laughs> a, a lot of people who are, are, you know, PhD level processors yeah. can't really like connect on the human level, at least in the way that it seems like you guys really are able to with your athletes, you know, having not been coached by you. I know many of your athletes and what everybody loves about you is that you do bring that sort of personal energy and relationship to it and you help them see the best in themselves. So I don't know if there's anything you want to say about just like balancing the, like, you know, following the data, following the sports science, but also like understanding that each person is a N of one. Well, I think uh, I can assure you we're very, very awkward. So I, we, yeah. I think we definitely do fit some of the, <laughs> the standard scientific front. Uh, hopefully awkward and funny at the same time, but definitely awkward. Yeah, we have the being bad at parties thing down. Oh yeah, science. that's that's That we that have down sure we to have. a science. No, but I think coaching actually for me as a scientist, like coaching is extremely helpful because I think sometimes you get so in one lane and there is like a big application of science. And I feel like coaching drives the scientific process and science drives the coaching. And there's a really nice overlap between the two. And I think that's where like the art component comes in. And mm -hmm. for me, that's been so helpful. Yeah. And when you think about long-term, what is this? I think when we distill things down to numbers, sometimes we lose sight of the individual, like the bones and gristle of it. And the individual data points. Yeah. yeah. And so think about like a five by three minute hill workout mm -hmm. or something like that how much of that is in the body and how much of that is in the brain. So the body definitely determines the range of probabilities that an athlete can have. But if we can channel like belief as an attribute that we're trying to foster, then you might just push to the top end of that range of probabilities every day. And if you do that and you're just like 1% better and 1% better, eventually what you're adapting to is not just the physical stimulus, it's the emotional one. Yeah. And yeah. it becomes the bones and gristle of it. So, you know, in doing that, like, the touchy feely stuff is all about, you know, one, trying to just be truly loving and caring about athletes in their whole lives. But two, even if we didn't care about any of that, just trying to make athletes crush bitches on <laughs> races like this. And I think we are the bones and gristles too, because we're athletes. And I think we try to do the training that we give athletes. Like I want to do five by three minute hill efforts. Yeah. And it's like understanding deeply what athletes are going through from our personal perspective is really helpful. My totally. legs hurt so bad right now. <laughs> yeah, right? So yeah, like, I get it. There's a lot of vert here. Yeah. So bringing it back to UTMB again, I mentioned a second ago that 
you guys were talking about on your show about how sometimes you can observe people who come over here and maybe get a little overboard and, you know, that doesn't necessarily fit with the long-term health orientation that you have. As coaches, when you have athletes who are coming over here with big goals, how do you encourage them to, you know, be moderate in their approach or maybe just like have that belief that would, you know, not otherwise tempt them to go out into the mountains for many hours a day. It's hard. I think acknowledging that it's hard. I turn on Strava in the morning at like 6 a.m. Colorado time and it's just like shimony, 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 40 mile run, 50 mile run. Uh, so it's, it's definitely overwhelming. I think we're telling athletes like staying a little bit out of town goes a long ways. I think disconnecting from social media and then just like getting down to the foundation of why we're doing this. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's not Strava files. It's not, you know, numbers. It's not data. It's being out on these freaking incredible trails yeah. and like being here to see it. It's like, Oh, be a soul runner too. Yeah. And that's definitely what we're talking to athletes about. And also we're rooting for everybody. Like yeah, exactly. I, I, we ask, tell athletes, it's like when you're out there racing or when you're out there training or when you look at Strava, every time you open it, hope that they do great. Um, that lifts everybody up and also takes away some of the comparison element, which is what I think truly is what crushes people in this sport. Yeah. You know, the quest for self-improvement or whatever, I don't know if that's what's motivating people to mm -hmm. do the most crazy training. You know, I think so often they're grounding it in things that like some insecurities related that we all feel related to maybe the competitive aspects of the sport or even the competitive aspects of training in the sport. And um, so I think rooting for others and also just digging down and trying to understand that what works for other people aren't, isn't necessarily going to work for you. Trust the process. Yeah. Ask, uh, trust, but verify. So yeah. trust the process. Let's make sure it's working. Um, but if you stick with it, like we promise it'll work. Like, and UTMB is UTMB because there's 25 people on the starting line who can win yeah. and like embrace it. That's what makes this place magical. And so that's what we've been telling athletes too, is like, it makes us all better in the end. So just lean into it. So you were also talking about sort of a prediction that you thought American athletes <laughs> yeah. would, would perform well here over the course of hashtag biased, the, the, yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe the next decade or next generation. And you had a brilliant analogy of European basketball players. <laughs> so please share that for those who haven't heard your podcast. So back in the day, I just uh, read Showtime, the book about the 1980s Lakers. And when they drafted Vladi Divac, um, who was this big European center, there was this stereotype that European players are just soft and slow, but especially soft. And that stuck for a long time, even as really good European players came over. It wasn't until the early 2000s with Dirk Nowitzki, and then more recently with like Nikola Jokic, who's won multiple MVPs, Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's won multiple MVPs, yeah. that that stereotype has been flipped on its head. And if anything, US basketball has been informed by the way Europeans play, the way they spread the four, the way they shoot corner threes and things like that. Similarly, I think, do you, do, I don't know if you agree, She's letting me go. Yeah. She's, she's deferring. <laughs> let him um, cook. Let him cook. That U.S. runners have often been portrayed as soft over here. Yeah. And yeah, I get that some men haven't won UTMB yet. And I get that we might be a little bit later coming over here in force. But I think it's all about to change in a really major way. And who's um, going to do it? Is it who's going to no, be the American man to no, do no, it? No, no, I yeah. don't, I don't want to get into specific prognostications. This is more of a general thing <laughs> that I can't be held accountable for. Um, but, you know, going out there and running those trails, it's like, oh man, people have no idea how fast Americans are. Yeah. Like, and even seeing the times, I'm like, yeah, there's amazing runners here. And, um, you know, they are absolutely incredible at the front. But in America, these athletes are 
insanely good too. Yeah. Also in the US, these trails are at really high altitude. Like for us, we see this type of terrain at like 10,000, 12,000 right. feet. And there's a lot more oxygen here on this type of terrain. So yeah. I think that, you know, someone out, we have, we already have had the Dirk Nowitzkis and people like that. I think we're about to see the Jokic's, the people that start <laughs> winning MVPs come over here and, you know, establish themselves over and over and over again in force across the board. And so, who's Courtney as a basketball player? Oh, I mean, yeah, it's a good <laughs> point. Yeah. Courtney's the second coming of like Michael Jordan. <laughs> Michael Jordan mixed with LeBron James. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so maybe winding down here, what are the plans for the team team swap this weekend? Will you guys be out on the course cheering on your athletes? We were just talking about that. So we don't have a car and we have a baby. And so we will be out there. Yeah. Maybe we're, what we're going to do like magical forces. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's, Chamonix has a lot of locals that uh, have cars and someone, and, and we're, um, we're putting out feelers on our uh, Patreon. And we're like, who wants to hang with us? Actually, David is so good at spectating and crewing races because he usually runs places. So he'll just like appear in the bushes with all these like scratches oh, and bruises. So I'm the creeper in the bushes. I'm waiting yeah. for you to run to Coromayor and just make it happen. Oh yeah. <laughs> all I can promise is that our athletes will see me in the most unexpected places. Whether Leo will be there, I'm unsure. Um, but no, we, we can't wait. I mean, um, you know, there's athletes that we coach that are just so primed for breakthroughs that are wild, but yeah. the, why, the crazy thing about this race is you just can't predict it. Yep. And so what we're hoping everybody does is just goes out there and has an experience that is memorable because yeah. whether they win or finish last place or DNF, like the memories are what you take with you. And like, if you look back five years, the race results, they all become blurred together and a little bit of dust in the wind. And, yeah. um, and the memories are things that you take for the rest of your life. So maybe final question then something David and I had spoken about in a non-public forum is that you guys are also freaking great athletes. <laughs> and maybe this is a better, better question for after race weekend, yeah. but after you get, you know, pulled into the full UTMB vortex, but any, any curiosity about pinning a bibob? Oh, I'm coming back here? for sure. Yeah. Actually the other night I was looking into, I was like, can I race ETC? And yeah. David was like, oh, you needed a medical record like four months ago for that. <laughs> uh, but I would love to do CCC or OCC. Yeah. It's hard. You know, we don't like racing our athletes. Yeah. So it's, that part is challenging, but I want to come back. Yeah. Do you, David? No, <laughs> I, I, I want to, I want to take a lot of Strava segments and then uh, maybe wind up at Western States one day soon. Yeah. Mm. Well guys, it's so fun to chit chat here in Chamonix ahead of the biggest race of the season. I hope your athletes all perform well and I hope somebody gives you a ride around the mountain. <laughs> Thank you. If anyone hears this and wants us to, to join you, some company, uh, we don't really provide anything and we smell quite bad, but <laughs> There'll yeah. be good vibes. You'll have a baby with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But seriously, thank you for everything yeah. you guys do for sport. Like it's, we talk about free trail all the time in our house and like you're changing trails, trail culture, yeah. trail life. And yeah, I don't know amazing. exactly where this is going to be, but anyone that hears this, give a little bit of extra money into free trail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> up, up your tier, up yeah. your tier. Like seriously, if, 25 people up their tier. That'll make a huge difference for free trail. Our conversation always is like, how can we support free trail? It's, it's a hard business model. And we're like, yeah. we want to help you out. Well, thank you guys so much for, for what you do as well. And we appreciate the support. Huzzah. Huzzah. Yeah. Yeah. Woo